Well, it's uh, Easter Sunday, of course, and uh, we've already had a great celebration. I totally agree with uh, Kim and uh, just a few people. It's, uh, it's been a good morning already to come together and celebrate. I've had texts actually from uh, other pastors uh, around about the place saying, isn't it a great time to be in church? It's a great place uh, to be in. It's just you know, uh, fantastic that we're here today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a great day of celebration, but it is also uh, the third week in our Imaginary Jesus series. And uh, we're looking at false perceptions of Jesus that are out there. And um, in a sense, these imaginary Jesus um, that we have are the things we listen to apart from the real Jesus that is speaking to us. And today, as we focus on grace, and of course, We'll spend some time looking at grace. Today we're going to look particularly at the legalistic Jesus that can be our imaginary Jesus, that Jesus that is legalistic in the way he speaks to us. Maybe you can recognize him yourself. And I want to just read out some lines that I think can represent who that Jesus could be. Maybe you recognize him yourself. How about this? You messed up again. This is not how a Christian is supposed to live. Not good enough. Look at the scripture. Are you even close? Sort it out. Fix it. What about this one? I'll tell you why things aren't going right for you in your life. If you have done this or that right, then perhaps things would have gone better for you. But you didn't pray enough, did you? You didn't read the Bible enough. You didn't go to church enough. If you were good, then God would be good to you. Or maybe this one for somebody or a group of people here today. Don't you even think of becoming a Christian or becoming somebody that follows Jesus until you have everything right and everything sorted out in your own life? And you better be close to perfect when you do that because don't you know that the people at Catalyst Church are nearly perfect? Now we know that Jesus isn't right, don't we? On Easter Sunday... Which Jesus is it that we follow? Because here's the sneaky thing about legalistic Jesus. The thing about legalistic Jesus is there's always a little bit of truth, and sometimes a lot of truth, in just that one side of the argument. What do I mean by that? Should you have a bad attitude when he calls you on that? It's a bad attitude you have there. You're a bad person. Should you have that bad attitude? No. Should you have viewed that webpage once or twice or many times? No. Should you have done or gone as far as you did in that relationship with just your boyfriend or your girlfriend? No. Are you living up to everything that it actually is written in this book? No. Or on the flip side, should you pray more? Yeah. Should you fast more? Yes, we should do that. Should we go to church more? Yes, we should go to church more. So what do we do with that condemning feeling that we feel sometimes if some of those things that are said have some truth about them? As a Christ follower, or as Christ followers, isn't this book filled with rules that we're supposed to follow and shouldn't we carry that on and shouldn't we then apply this book to our own lives and say we can judge ourselves by the rules that are in this book? Shouldn't I be judged by whether I live up to the things that are said in this book? Legalism comes from the word law, and yes, it's true, but that book there is full of law. But maybe a better way of putting it today is that it's full of truth. 
And that is how the scriptures guide us in how we live our lives. Now, I wonder if you're thinking, oh, I know where this is going. It's Easter Sunday, right? This is the Sunday where we talk about grace. But what's your perception of Jesus and grace? What do you think about Jesus when you think about grace? Who is this Jesus? I wonder for you, when you think about Jesus as grace, do you think about him as the extreme opposite end of the spectrum, that he's a bit like a, a Gandhi that sort of floats around up in the air and just says, everything's okay, everything's all right. You can do whatever you want. I would never judge you. I would never say anything to challenge you in your own life because that's the extreme that we can go to sometimes when we think about grace. So where do we go with this? You'll hear us saying in this series as we talk about what an imaginary Jesus is. You'll hear us talking about this. It's better to know the real Jesus than to get too stuck on talking about the imaginary Jesus. It's one thing we could talk about all day long about some of the different imaginary Jesuses that are in our life, but let's get to know the real Jesus and then we can push away to dispel that imaginary Jesus in our life. So what do we know about the real Jesus? Well, I want to, I guess, just go to the scripture here today that talks to us about the real Jesus. John 1, 14 says this. Amazing passage of scripture says, The Word became flesh. In other words, Jesus came down and camped in a way amongst us. And it says that we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. This is Jesus here in the flesh. This is what we know to be true of the real Jesus, but it says something really interesting in John's Gospel. It says that he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Jesus was both of those things. He was all grace, but he was all truth. What does that look like for us? Well, truth, truth says that you're broken. Truth looks directly at you and says you are broken. But grace says a price has been paid. Grace says, no matter what, I love you. But truth says you're accountable. Truth says, live up to this standard. Grace says, you are accepted right now just as you are. They're two things together. And I wonder if you're a little bit like me. Do you love the scriptures about truth when they're about somebody else? Does anybody want to put their hand up for that? When they're about other people, we love the scriptures about truth because that's the way they should be living our life. But when it's about us, we love the scriptures about grace and say I'm forgiven and I'm accepted. What is it for you? How do you picture truth and grace? See, I want to say this. For Jesus, it wasn't about yin and yang. It wasn't sort of the exact 50%. Jesus, the scripture tells us, was full of both truth and grace. And just a little example here today, if you would imagine with me that we have grace and we have truth, when it says that in the scripture there, it doesn't give the impression that it's sort of half and half. It says it's full to the brim of both truth and grace. He's not one or the other, but he's both. He's all things. He's truth and his grace together. It goes on, in John 1, 16 and 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John has to say it again. He says, you guys know what the law looks like. You guys understand. Do not do this. Do not do that. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't, don't, don't. Because then Jesus came and he came in truth and grace. He's both. Romans 11, 12 says this, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. What? That's not what I expected. At least it's Sunday to note the kindness and the severity of God. I thought we just talked about the kindness of God. But there it is again. Note the kindness and the severity. Paul says, note it. Mark it down. Talk about it. Discuss it with each other. Talk about the severity of God. See, the truth, the law, makes us understand grace. So on a day that we're talking about grace, it's actually important to consider truth for a moment. If I'm not talking about the severity of God, what's the first thing that would come into your mind? And somebody yell it out. When you talk about the severity of God, what's the first thing? Punishment, of course. Or maybe taking it one step further, what about this? What about hell? Let's consider for a moment hell. I was actually doing an assignment yesterday, doing some research, and I found out that 50% of Australians don't think the church should even talk about hell. Because they believe that Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus is all about grace, right? But what do we find in the scriptures? We found that Jesus talked a lot about hell. He talked about it regularly. And he said, if your heart is like this or that, if you fall short of God's standard, then he says, watch out or you're in the danger of the fires of hell. Now, just to talk about it for a minute, the scripture says, talk about it. I want to talk about, again, this word hell. It made a lot of sense to the people of the day. When he said Gena, the fires of Gena, it actually represented an area outside of the city, in Jerusalem. So it was like this ravine-like area in the city. And it had been sort of going for a hundred years at that time. And it was full of strangeness and weirdness. It was uh, a lot of uh, myths about this area. There was like Blair Witch-style murders happening in that area. And so what happened? The Jews at that time said, I don't want to live anywhere near that. And so the area became a rubbish dump. And so they started throwing rubbish there, smelly, putrid rubbish, dead carcasses, dead animals were piled in there. And when the rubbish tip got too big, they would set it on fire. And these fires would rage and they would smolder and they would burn and it would smell and it would be sticky and putrid. Rotten garbage, smoldering when not blazing, spiritually dark and oppressive. And this is Jesus talking. Let's take note of his severity. Jesus says, watch out or you'll be in danger of the fires of Gennel and you exactly what he was talking about. That's the truth. Jesus is talking about hell there in the scriptures. How do we know if we've got a legalistic Jesus speaking to us? Well, let's understand how the real Jesus spoke to us. So on Easter Sunday here today, congratulations. Everybody here is a winner. Everybody here is a sinner. Jesus would say, and you're in danger of the fires of hell if your heart does not measure up. See, not to, not to contemplate the sight of God, it's a little bit like thinking, having a pool in your backyard and uh, not warning your children that if they go in there on their own when they're too little, they could die. It's just truth. 
It's like having a main road outside of your house and the same thing, saying to your kids, go and play out there or not saying to your children, keep away from that main road. You don't do that because they could die. It's just truth. And this is what Jesus sounds like. Jesus isn't one or the other. He's both. But here's the wrestle. Jesus isn't 50-50 and I really want to express that. Jesus was God himself here on this earth and he carried around both truth and grace filled to the absolute brim in the way he expressed his life. And sometimes that frustrated people. Sometimes Jesus would seemingly walk past the situation and they would say, why don't you bring truth into that situation? And other times Jesus would, would be harsh, it would seem, to some people. And you might say, why don't you bring grace into that situation? But Jesus was both truth and grace. He was both things and he knew at the right time when to express both things. And sometimes that's a tension. And it's a tension, I'll just be honest with us as a church, that we will live with forever. There isn't a formula. You can't divide it down the middle. You are both truth and grace. And I'll just be honest, even as a church leadership sometimes, we walk in that tension of the times when we express grace in this situation and the times when we express truth. Let's look at Jesus himself and how he walked this earth. And some of the things that Jesus himself did to express grace and truth in the way he did it in the scriptures. Just a few examples. John 4, chapter 7, the Samaritan woman. Famous story in scripture. It's a great example because first thing that we see is Jesus comes and meets the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And the Samaritan woman is there and Jesus starts to speak to her and ask her to get him some water. Do you know what? Immediately, that's a picture of grace busting into that scene. Jesus shouldn't be talking to that lady. He shouldn't be having any sort of contact with this lady, but he does. He presses grace to her. And she recognises that immediately, and he goes on and begins to talk to her about living water. And it's wonderful, and it's exciting. This is a great moment for her. It's grace, grace, grace. But then Jesus does something interesting. He flips the truth. He flips back and he says to this lady, Go back to your husband. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you have five. You have five. The man you're living with now, you're not even married to. See, what happened? That truth appeared. Jesus, what are you doing? Things were going so well. This lady was responding to you. You were talking about the living water. What are you doing, Jesus, bringing truth into this situation? Don't you know that is awkward for that lady? Don't you understand, Jesus? Don't you understand that she would know what she's like, the trouble and the struggle in her life, that she's had five husbands and, and this one's not even a husband? Don't you know how shameful that is? But Jesus speaks truth into that situation, right in the middle of speaking grace into that situation. But then grace is added again because the lady by now is enthralled and she's had truth presented and she's had grace presented and they go on and they continue to talk and as far as we can understand in the scriptures Jesus reveals to her she's the first one that he reveals to her of all the people while he's here on this earth that he's the Messiah, the first one that he's the one coming who will bring salvation to this world he expresses grace to her again and this lady, it says, goes away fascinated and changed because of her encounter with the God that will speak truth and grace to her. 
and it changes her life. Then we have Jesus' interaction with Matthew, the tax collector. And just to be clear today, tax collectors were so bad that they got their own category of badness. You guys understand that? In the scripture, it, what does it say? That Jesus hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. Can you imagine your profession being labelled alongside of sinners, you know? Like the sinners and the used car salesmen. Can you imagine that? No offence if John Fitzgerald is here today. John is a great, honest used car salesman. The sinners and the... Nobody wants to say it. Maybe some politicians to be a bit nicer. You know, the sinners and the evil dictators. Well, Jesus hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. And this bothers the Pharisees who were the legalists of the day. They said, that's not appropriate, Jesus, that you would be hanging out with those people. So they sent a message to Jesus' own disciples. And Jesus' disciples sent a message to Jesus. We haven't got a point. You shouldn't be hanging out with these people. Now what does Jesus do? How does he respond? It's truth and grace. In that minute, in that second, we see Jesus not say, listen, they're not so bad. You shouldn't be so bad on them, hard on them. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, what do you think I'm here for? The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In other words, I know what they are, but I'm here to express, express grace to them. Jesus is crucified between two thieves on a cross, and the thief thieves, just so you know, are the worst of the worst. And a conversation breaks out. And it says, one criminal rebukes another criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly. But we're getting what our deeds deserve. This man, this man has done nothing wrong. Now again, Jesus has got the chance to say, listen, I understand the life you've had, the upbringing you have. You didn't have the chances. It's not so bad. Jesus just, for one second, is silent. He doesn't say to this man, you don't deserve what you're getting. By silence, we understand that he agrees with this man, but he does say something interesting. And the next second, he says, but you will be in paradise with me. What? That's crazy, Grace. Isn't that guy supposed to live a special life, do special things, live up to the faith that he's now got in Jesus? He's going to die in maybe a few hours, maybe less. And Jesus pours grace onto this man in the face of overwhelming truth of what this man has done in his life. And the final one is the Pharisees. Again, the legalists again bring to Jesus a lady caught in adultery. And apparently she's been caught red-handed. There's no denying that she's been caught in adultery. And according to the law, the legalist says she should be stoned. Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't argue with them on that point. Jesus says, okay, let's begin the stoning. But he says this, and that's truth, by the way, but he says this, let's begin with the person that's got no sin. In other words, the person that's never committed adultery in your heart, you start. The person that has never called somebody a fool, you start. The person that's never harbored jealousy and anger and rage and bitterness towards somebody else, you start. And Scripture says that the Pharisees start peeling away because none of them can live up to that. They're ashamed themselves. And Jesus says to the lady, I don't condemn you either. Grace! The next statement as she's leaving is, however, go and leave your life of sin. Truth. 
So if you want to know about the real Jesus, what does he sound like? It's Little Bryce. This is why I know to be true. The real Jesus calls sin, sin. He doesn't mess about with it. He didn't hide it. He didn't argue that we don't have a problem. He named it and spoke truth into people's lives. And you know what? I've got to say this. We spend so much time ducking the issue of sin. Saying, really, it's not my fault. You know, that was what the original sinners did. Adam and Adam and Eve immediately pointed fingers at other people. They ducked it, and it's what we do. We say it's got nothing to do with me. It's my parents, it's the situation I'm in, it's the struggle that I have. It's not my fault. But Jesus would just look at you in truth and say, I call it sin. I call it what it is. He names it. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He does something about it. And that's why this is Easter Sunday. He names us, names it as sin. He names us that thing that will separate you from the eternal glory of God. And he says to us, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You're in danger of the eternal fires of hell. You understand the truth that's associated with this. And he says, I know that you can't pay the price that's required. I know that you're in trouble here. I know there's a price to be paid. That's the truth of the matter. But see, Jesus doesn't lead us here because he's both. He's truth and grace. You know, the law ultimately doesn't help us. Paul actually says that the law makes us run and hide because it makes us so aware of who we are. It leaves us hopeless. But then we have the cross. And Jesus says, I know you cannot pay that price. Your life is wretched. But Jesus says, I will pay the price for you. So we arrive at Easter Sunday and we arrive at that word grace. He's all truth and he's all grace. That's grace, undeserved favour, undeserved love. I don't deserve God to love me. He just does this grace. I don't deserve Jesus to live and die and rise again. I don't deserve to stand here today and sing beautiful worship songs to Jesus. And, and talk about the risen life of Jesus and how I can have that. But I do, it's grace. I don't deserve God to help me right now, but He does, it's grace. I don't deserve any of the good things in my life, it's grace. Do you know what the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each and every single one of these are about law, are about steps, are about ways, earning your way to God. It's ultimately about legalism in one form or another. Grace is God accepts you unconditionally. Christianity is all about grace. We don't get what we deserve, we get what we don't deserve. God is good even though we're sinful people. That's the truth. Grace is central to that Easter message and it's a dramatic, victorious conclusion to the story. Jesus is truth, yeah, but he's grace. And you know what he says to us after he speaks truth directly to us? And yes, it should challenge our lives, every single one of us. He says, now that I've paid for you, I want you to leave that life of sin. Here's the truth. Insert your own name. Carl, now that I've paid for you, leave that life of sin. But he says this after saying truth. He says, if you don't, 
I love you. If you're wounded, this carries on and on and seems to hold you back and back and back. I still love you. If someone sinned against you and it's got inside of you and you cannot let it go and you try and you try and it's still there, Jesus says, I still love you. The truth is, Jesus says, you're a sinner. The grace says you're not condemned. No one could ever love you more. See, Jesus is truth and grace. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Legalistic Jesus condemns you. He leaves you in that spot. Legalistic Jesus tells half the story or less than half of the story. He makes it about you. He makes it about your effort. And when I the devil uses that condemnation to drive us back to ourselves, actually, to the guilt which drives us to ourselves and says, I've got to do it. I can't be about the grace of Jesus Christ. It's got to be about me, which is nearly the biggest problem that any of us will face in our life is turning the issue back to ourselves. I've got to fix myself. I've got to get better. I've got to be the right sort of Christian so that God accepts me. Jesus doesn't leave us in condemnation and guilt. Scripture says there's now no, none, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Can I ask today that question? Are you condemned about something in your past? Don't be condemned. You need to hear me say today again, it's finished. It's dealt with. Jesus was enough. Stop listening to that legalistic voice that says there's more shame yet to come. There's more pain yet to come. You must pay a price. You must live a hushed life. That condemnation has gone because of the cross, because of his resurrection. Romans 4.25 since he was delivered over to death for our sins, was raised to life for our justification. We see two things there. Firstly, that he's dealt with our sins on the cross, but then we're also justified in the act of God declaring us free from sin and guilt. We're raised to life. Some people say it like this, our, the cross deals with our past, but the resurrection deals with our future. It means we go on and we live this life empowered by grace, their saving grace, but then we're empowered by His grace to live the life that we've got. You are forgiven. In fact, you cannot be more forgiven than totally forgiven. Ponder that for a moment. It's the empowering grace of Jesus Christ. I love that last song that we sing because it leads so much into the resurrection power of Christ and what He's done and how He changes us. And you hear it in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that you that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, why does he pray that? Because he, he's hoping that people will understand that Jesus is the God of truth and grace, that he's all grace, that he's all truth. I hope that your heart, your heart would be enlightened, that you may know the hope that he's called you to, the glorious inheritance of the saints, and his incomparably great power of us who believe such an important word, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. And hear this, which he exerted in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead. That same power that raised Christ from the dead. Often ponder that scripture. The might and the power that raised Christ from the dead, that defeated death, that same power works in you and me. See, this is a message of grace. But that message of grace should make us hungry 
but truth, because we're never condemned. Truth, when His Spirit brings it, enlightens us to who we are and what's going on. We should be thankful to God. It's called conviction. I'm convicted by the working of your Spirit, but I'm not condemned. Work in me, Christ Jesus, by your Spirit to change me. And do you see how this starts to change that pitiful, insignificant voice that whispers in our ear that somehow about what we do or that we're not good enough? You tell that voice, Jesus I know is full of truth and is full of grace. So fight back against that hopelessness and that voice that would speak to you. You know that, again, strongest words that we see in the scripture are for Christians that begin to fall back into this legalistic mindset to think it's somehow about all what they can do. In fact, the Galatians in scripture are famous for this falling into this trap. Somehow they began their spiritual journey in Christ, beginning to understand that it was about grace, and they fell back into works of law, earning their way to salvation. Paul says to them in Galatians, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one can be justified. Why? Because it's about grace. It's about grace. We're going to end this morning with communion, and as we head into communion, we're going to just watch a, a beautiful idea again, which just pulls apart a little bit more of this beautiful subject of grace.